0: Am I Reister or am I wrong? Sports curses are very real. They exist out in the world. All you have to do is ask the Clippers. The Big Ten is returning to play college football. I'm going to break down all the testing procedures and everything that you need to know. Will the Pac-12 be the next to return or will they stay out on the desert island all by themselves? And the L.A. Sheriff inexplicably asked LeBron James to step up and match a $100,000 reward. Am I right or am I wrong is the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet the truth. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, fire. Facts only here. Check your feelings at the door before you even check in. This ain't the place for the left, the right, snowflakes, or social justice warriors, and no BS because I keep it 100. Make sure that you guys leave a five star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. However, you may be listening. If you are listening on YouTube, make sure you thumbs up, like it, give a uh, share to a friend, text, email, however you do it. Um, and you guys can get a hold of me, GW Podcast at UnafraidShow.com. Make sure you subscribe and tell a friend. And you can also listen to me as well on the Pac-12 Apostles podcast and Fox Sports Radio Sundays, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 8 Eastern Time, and then weekdays filling in. Am I Reister or am I wrong? I'm probably Reister, but if not, leave a comment. So we're going to start with the Clippers. The Clippers last night, they lost to the Denver Nuggets after being up 3-1 in the series, and everybody's going to tell you how... Kawhi Leonard's overrated. Doc has lost three, three, one leads. All that matters not. I'm going to explain to you how and why it happened. And it has nothing to do anything with anything that happened on the court. So I talked about this months ago, months ago, when the playoffs were just getting ready to talk about how they were going to return and who was going to play. And I said this. That the Clippers, who have never been out of the second round of the playoffs, that they were going to need to have a Herculean effort to ha- or, or overcome some major adversity to be able to win a championship and even get out of the second round of the playoffs. Because there is a playoff curse. There is the Donald Sterling curse that is hang- that is hanging over the Clippers franchise. You don't believe it. I get it. I know, oh, George, you're out in left field right now. Got so much data and uh, science even, if you will, to prove that it's true. So before the season, everybody told me I was crazy. Everybody told me I was crazy saying that the Clippers needed to break the curse. They were like, no, they got Paul George. They got Kawhi Leonard. That's enough. No, that's not how these things work. And the Clippers had a chance yesterday when they were down Uh, 15 points in the fourth quarter. They had their opportunity to break the curse and they could not do it. This is no different than a generational curse. This is no different than having a family with drug addiction. People have never been college graduates or gone to college perpetually poor. You know, like it's the same works with sports curses. So if you have a person who's never had a person who's gone to college in their life, Never graduated from college. What does that person usually have to go through? They have to go through adversity to be able to graduate through college. They're going to have something happen that's going to make them want to quit. That is would be an easy excuse. <clears throat> but they don't. And it has to be extremely difficult to break that. Same thing with a ha- with the family with addiction. It takes an Herculean effort to be able to do that. Now, here is where it's happened in sports. Look at the Chicago Cubs. 108 years. They had the curse of the Billy Goat from 2000, uh, from 1908, the Bartman, and they didn't win till 2016. They had so many failures along the way, even when it looked like that they were going to win. But they had to come back from down 3-1 against the Indians. They had to, in the World Series, overcome a Herculean effort. Well, how about the Indians? The Indians, who haven't won either, they did not have to overcome anything. That's why they couldn't win. That's why the Cubs came back and won. Look at the Boston Red Sox in 2004. They had to do something nobody else in sports had ever done, come back from 3-0 against the Yankees, which I lost an $800 bet to Mike Ryan, our trainer, in, in Jacksonville. Okay, so what happened is this. Our trainer in Jacksonville, Mike Mike Ryan, this super quick story. He gave me, uh, well, we made a bet on the series because he's a huge Red Sox fan. And I gave him eight to one odds on a hundred bucks that the Yankees were going to win the series. Yankees win game one. He comes back in. Hey, George, I'll let you off the hook right now for 400 bucks. No, no, for 300 bucks. I'll let you off the hook for the bet right now. No, George. Oh, no, no, no. He said, I'll let you out for 600 bucks right now. Then uh, Yankees win game two. George, I'll let you out of the bet for 500 bucks. Yankees are up 2-0. Like, hell no. Yankees up 3-0. George, I'll let you out of the bet right now for $300. I was like, man, if you don't get out of my face and get the hell away from me. And then, so he keeps going up again. They win the series. The curse of the Bambino is finally broken. And mind you, that wasn't in the World Series. That was in the ALCS. So it doesn't have to be in the final game. It just has to be some sort of monumental effort that uh, some sort of adversity that you have to go through. Same thing with the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl in 2018. What did they have to overcome? They had to overcome their star quarterback, Carson Wentz, getting hurt. Backup coming in and Nick Foles people who they didn't think could get it done and who's lost jobs all over the place Nick Foles comes in Wednesday Super Bowl Philly special they had to overcome something monumental with a backup quarterback not the guy who turns into Tom Brady when Drew, when Drew Bledsoe went out no this is uh, Nick Foles who's still Nick Foles to this point a backup quarterback the Patriots in 2002 they needed the tuck rule they needed an unusual set of circumstances to be able to overcome to be able to win a championship. Uh, the Cavs in 2016, they had to overcome a 3-1 deficit to the uh, Golden State Warriors, a super team. Come on, man. The 60 73-9 uh, team, Herculean effort. Now imagine what it's going to take for the Detroit Lions to win a Super Bowl The Chicago Bears, because they haven't won since 85. They got the Honey Bear Curse. Imagine what it's going to take for some of these types of teams to win. And that was the same thing with the Clippers. The Clippers, who Donald Sterling has been a horrible person, who owned the team for a long time. I know Steve Ballmer owns the team now. But he was a horrible person, a racist, a slumlord, just an all-around scumbag in terms of how he treated other people made a boatload of money, though, fantastic businessman with some shady practices within that business and the real estate business as well. So you can't sit up here and tell me that that doesn't infect your franchise. There were people there who allowed it to go on, didn't speak up. Uh, some of those people may still be there. Majority of them may be gone, but you have to find a way to break the curse I was watching Ted Lasso on ES, on, on Apple TV+. Plus. They had to break the curse of that franchise. Same thing here for the Clippers. The sports curses are real. You just have to find a way to break it. Um, and the sports curse continues for the Clippers because when you look at what they did to get Paul George, playoff P/pandemic P slash pandemic P, This is only going to exacerbate the problem. They gave up seven draft picks. Well, five first round draft picks uh, Gilgis Alexander, um, Delano Gallinari, and two pick swaps. So they don't even have control of their first round pick until 2027. Come on, man. This is absolutely ridiculous. For Paul George, who didn't show up, that only makes it that much more that is going to be needed for the Clippers to overcome this. They, if for next year, for if they're going to win a championship, they are going to have to play without Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. They're going to have to play handicapped for a game or two or for a series just to be able to overcome it. Otherwise, there is no way to break the curse. I'm telling you, this is the way it works. It works the same way in life as it does out in sports. Am I right or am I wrong? Uh, the next thing up we have is the Big Ten. The Big Ten decided to return to play today. They decided that they were going to, they voted unanimously, that they were going to return to football play. And I have been very outspoken that I don't believe that college football is a safe to be doing right now. However, with the new testing, the new antigen testing that is available from I think the company Quidel, this makes it the very best way to do something very risky. The Big Ten sat back instead of steaming forward like a bunch of dummies Like some of the other conferences did. Oh, to be damned everything else. We don't have these protocols in place. The Big Ten put in place the very best possible way to do something very risky. The same way that if you were going to go bungee jumping, you make sure that you have double cables. You make sure that you have uh, all type of safety and double and triple checks. Same thing if you go skydiving. You don't just go with one parachute. You got a backup parachute. You may jump with a buddy. He can save you. Same thing if you're ziplining. You don't th- go and ziplining with one line is craziness. You do it like you do here in the United States with double lines in case something goes wrong. Right? Because stuff does go wrong in life. And this reminds me of the movie Argo where they said this is the very best bad idea. Very best bad idea. And the schools have not done a good job of budgeting and saving money because they want to protect amateurism. But now here they are. So and I said that this was a really good job by the Big Ten. They sat back and instead of steamrolling for it like a bunch of dummies, they were careful and calculated. So I want to give credit to Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, who has taken a lot of heat because they weren't transparent the first time. So here is what So here's what happens. They're aiming to play October 23rd and 24th. Like that's when they're supposed to start that, that weekend. There are mandatory cardio workups for every player that could potentially test positive. So here is what they're going to do. They're going to have a, um, a point of contact test every single day prior to each practice or game. And that point of contact test is that new antigen test that's 96, 97 percent reliable uh, compared to the PCR test, which is the um, polymerase chain reaction test. So the the antigen test, 97 percent gives gives you the same as the PCR test. But if you take that two days in a row, that also gives you 99 percent. But they're not even going to do that. They're giving you the point of contact test. And if you test positive with the point of contact test, then they're giving you the PCR test, which the results take about 48 hours for the schools and everybody to get back. And if you test positive there, you cannot return to game competition for 21 days for 21 days. And you have to undergo comprehensive cardiac testing. Include labs, biomarkers, ECGs, echocardiograms, cardiac MRI. And there has to be an evaluation as well that must get signed off by a cardiologist that's associated with the university. I believe that this is a good idea in terms of playing ball, that this is the only way to do it. The Big Ten SEC And ACC have not put all of these protocols in place. But the uh, Big Ten also went further. They don't have a built-in bye week. So the 21-day suspension of play could shut down the teams if a threshold of 5% positivity rate on a team is met. Like So if there's a higher than 5% on the team, which is essentially like on a 120-man team, like six players. So here's here's how it works. If there's a team positivity rate, which is the number of positive cases divided by the total number of tests administered, if they're in the zero to 2%, then the team continue, well, green or orange, which is uh, zero to 5%, so zero to two and then two to 5%, that means that the team continues with normal practice and competition. If it's orange or red, which is 5% or above, then the team must proceed with caution and alter practice, meeting schedule, and all of that. And then red, the team must stop regular practice and competition for a minimum of seven days. So, and the testing began September 30th. So this is a good idea, a very, very good idea. The only thing I don't like about the idea is that starting back up October 23rd, that weekend, Means that there will only be four weeks between when the season end, between when they start up on September 30th, even though they they may start practicing before then, and the when the season would start. And I believe that there needs to be six weeks because this is what the NCAA said, and also what was proven in 2011, and starting to be proven again this year with the NFL with their. Anytime there's been a work stoppage, there has been an increase in injuries, especially soft tissue injuries, hamstrings, quads. uh, And then there's been an uptick in Achilles injuries, ACLs, all of that stuff as well. So that's my only negative part about it. But why did this happen? Why the shift in it? Well, the antigen test also makes a big deal. This is a huge, huge breakthrough in terms of being able to test players daily and get the results immediately. And also, it's very cost-effective because the machine can be taken anywhere. I'm actually trying to order one for me and my family. Uh, so when people come over, we can swab you up F- 15 minutes. Either you can come in the house or you gotta go. So, but but this happened because, yes, there is a huge breakthrough in testing, but also some of this happened because of COVID fatigue and politics. I firmly believe that when you look at people out in the world, that we have COVID fatigue. That means that we're tired of having to wear masks. We're tired of being locked up. We're tired of all that. And people in general don't have the patience to stay the course. They want to find a way to break through. That is good for innovation, but it's not necessarily great for public health. So our COVID fatigue has led to this antigen test and people rushing out to figure out a way to get things back to normal. But it's also leading to people willing to be more risky than they had been because they don't want to keep up. It is hard to have a routine of self-discipline and we want to participate in our vices just in general. Then there's also an element of politics that plays into it. Uh, there is politics. There's things that came from the president. Uh, governors fighting for reelection. Same thing with mayors of cities. This is a big political deal as well. And there's a lot of money on the line. So this is why the big 12, I'm sorry, the big 10 is back. I just hope because there's a lot of people, not only jobs on the line, but there's also If these players do test positive, which the test should be able to keep more people uh, healthy because they'll be able to trace things faster. But my, my, my issue is this. We still don't know the long term health effects of this. And I'm praying that two years from now, three years from now, that we don't realize that we put these kids in. Not all of them, but that some of these kids end up very worse for the wear for having done this. But I pray that that does not happen. That leads me to this lady named Christine Brenneman, who, who writes for the USA Today. So she wrote an article, or a column today, saying that this is the darkest day in Big Ten history. And it got people all up in arms because they were like, what about Jerry Sandusky at Penn State, Larry Nasser at Missis, uh, Michigan State, Richard Strauss at Ohio State, Robert Anderson at Michigan, the wrestling coach all that evil that has happened on Big Ten campuses. They're like, well, what about that? Well, the point is this, is that while I don't agree that this is the darkest day in Big Ten history, because of what I just explained to you, I also do not believe, I think that there's an inherent issue when the elderly, high-risk individuals, and just the public in general can't get testing and rapid testing like we have to return to sports or even to return to college campuses. Like why can't we get this for college students to return back to campus because there's more money generated to return kids to college campuses than it is for sports. So that's my only problem. We don't have a national testing plan, but we can figure out all this amazing testing and ideas and come up with all this, all these wonderfully creative ideas, but we can't do it for the regular public, for our elderly, for our high risk, uh, essential workers, poor people. We can't do it for them. I mean, people like, like, like me, I'm trying to buy a machine for, for my whole house, I mean, granted, if you have more money, you are going to have more resources. However, it is something inherently wrong. It is like a human issue when regular people who are high risk that we are supposed to be taking care of. And supposed to be looking out for the public good, goodwill. We just cast them off and leave them to fend for themselves. That's dirty and that's wrong. So maybe so it's not a dark day in Big Ten sports. This just prioritizes what we care about out in the world. We care about sports. We care about rich people. That's just a fact. Uh, my parting shot today: <sighs> L.A. Sheriff Alex Villanueva. He challenged LeBron James. LeBron, you need to donate a hundred thousand dollars to match. What was uh, to match the reward for to find the gunman who shot, who ambushed really two sheriffs sitting in their vehicle? And when I saw the video, it broke my heart because the inevitable results are catastrophic for police relations with the community. Good officers. Because I've said this along, there are good officers, there are bad officers, but the good officers have to stop protecting the bad ones and the unions do too. So the good officers are going to feel less safe and on edge. And then the criminals with badges, because that's what bad officers are. They are criminals with badges. They're not anything else. They're now going to have an excuse to terrorize the communities more. Because they're going to say, oh, I was scared. Oh, I was afraid. Yet, no, it's an excuse. The the good officers will continue to fight the good fight. But unfortunately, they will feel less safe and on edge because this is not the answer. But here is the thing that I want you to point out. I mean, that I want to point out that a lot of this will get blamed on Black Lives Matter. It'll get blamed on all, all, all of this. Think about this. Why is it that this rogue person who's clearly a crazy person and a maniac, who would co-op and shoot the police officers well the the sheriff's deputies why would that be indicative of other people as opposed to when you have the Aurora shooting you have Sandy Hook you have Dylan Roof you have any time that there's like a white terrorist that, that that person is then a crazy person a lone person mental health issue all of that And it doesn't reflect poorly on white people or or poor or whoever it is. It doesn't reflect on them. The same thing here. This is a crazy person. This is a maniac and a murderer. They need to be apprehended and punished accordingly. And so back to Sheriff Villanueva. He challenged LeBron James, donate $100,000. And it's like, I don't understand. Like, why would you single out LeBron James? He didn't ask for this. He didn't. He was in no way involved in this. Like the the idea that we then try to point to celebrities who speak out and try to help people and ask them to right the wrongs of other people. That's not the answer. This isn't LeBron James's fight. But also, it is also extremely hypocritical for this man who didn't have enough like control over his own sheriff's. That they were sharing death photos of Kobe Bryant. So Vanessa Bryant, his wife, posted about this because she's suing them. So the same man who's standing on his moral uh, soapbox, his moral high ground about LeBron James. Didn't, you know, didn't didn't really care as much. Didn't really keep law and order in his mind when it came to Kobe Bryant's uh, body being burned and ravaged by a helicopter accident and the other people around there huh think about that am i right or am i wrong probably reister but if not absolutely leave a comment make sure you share peace out catch you guys on friday